1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. We gather around the word of God week after week because we realize and believe that we experience the good rule of God in our lives through his word. This is the way God rules us. This is the way God leads us through his word. This is where God teaches us that he is good. And so we come before the word of God week after week to experience the rule of God in Christ. Hear the word of Christ. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Oh, God, we pray that that would be true of our church. We pray that we would stand in the gospel. God, we pray that we would be bold in the gospel. God, we pray that everything that we do would be done in love. Because we know the one who stood in our place in the gospel, Jesus Christ. God, we know the one who was brave for us. Jesus Christ, and we know the one who did everything for us in love, Jesus Christ. God, would we realize that we are not the man. Jesus is the man. And would we trust him today? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's all about fairness. That's why I oppose biological boys who are transgender competing in girls' sports in school. It just isn't fair, and we have to protect girls' sports in schools. Now, that statement is no big deal when you realize the one who made it was a great Olympic athlete. He actually won the gold medal in 1976 in the Olympic decathlon. And it makes perfect sense coming from a man who in the 70s and 80s was the symbol of the American male. This statement about biological boys who are transgender competing in girls sports is only shocking when you realize who made it. A man who came out as a transgender woman in 2015, Bruce Jenner. I'm sure you all picked up on that by now. But even more bizarre, he made the statement preparing, uh, as he prepares, to run for governor of the state of California. And again, you say, well, that's not shocking. Except that he made it to run as a Republican, which is shocking. It's bizarre. It doesn't make any sense. It's confusing when we try to think through it. And this is the reason we need Father's Day. This is the reason we need Mother's Day. This is the reason we celebrate these days. And the church must embrace these days as a celebration of God's design in our life. God has created us male and female, and there are certain roles that come along with gender that are glorious and to be celebrated. And so we, we're not ashamed of Mother's Day or Father's Day. We actually need those days. 
especially in a culture that is so bizarre, that is so confusing. But gender chaos and confusion, it didn't start with Bruce. It actually began in the garden, in the place where God had created Adam in his image. And he created Adam, a man, to rule on his behalf, to submit to his authority, to live by his word, and in the garden to experience his good rule and rule on his behalf. And yet we read in the first three chapters of the Bible that Adam, who was commissioned to rule on God's behalf, he forsook that responsibility When he allowed Satan to enter the garden in the form of a snake and Satan deceives Eve, Adam's wife, to break God's command. And how does he do it? By causing her to question God's good rule that is revealed in his word. Did God really say that? And if he did say it, is he good? Is God really good? Is he out for your best intentions? And in the very beginning, the snake comes into the garden and creates confusion and creates chaos that surrounds the word of God and surrounds God's rule in the garden. In the midst of the deception, Adam, he stood back and did nothing except he was passive, except he was very aggressive in believing the word of the snake. Because he acted upon it and he sinned against God's commandment that they should not eat of this one tree. And in that moment, when when Adam decided, I will step away from God's good rule to believe the lie of Satan, things became twisted. Things became backwards. Things became chaotic. Things became confusing. There was a move for humanity away from God's good rule and his word to submit to the lies of Satan. And ever since then, we have been at war with Satan's lies. Trying to believe the truth of God's word. And yet the lies of the snake still haunt us. What is wrong rages against what is right. In the world we live in, what is false works against what is true. Death curses life. Confusion replaces order. Decay stains what is to flourish. Rebellion revolts against submission. Everything is backwards from where it is supposed to be. And when Paul writes to the church in Corinth... He writes to a church that is the poster child for confusion and chaos and disorder. He writes to a group of people who who are gathered together as a church and there is immorality in their midst. And they, they don't just ignore it. They celebrate it. Paul writes to this church and he says there are there is sexual immorality in your church The kind that the pagans would be embarrassed to even talk about. And you don't just tolerate it. You make a big deal about it. See how accepting we are? And in the context of this church, division is tolerated. And disorder is embraced. Pride has replaced love when it comes to serving the church. It's all backwards. It's all confusing in the church of Corinth. 
They are believing the lies of Satan, not submitting to the word of God. And so when Paul, he, he comes to end, this would probably be this. This is the second letter he would write to them, even though it's first Corinthians. When he comes to the end of this letter. He says, I want to sum it up this way. How do we reverse the curse in the church? How do we how do we take what is now backwards and chaotic and confusing? And how do we make it right? What do we need? Well, we need some men who are going to act like men in the context of the church. We need some folks who are going to do what Adam did not do. Someone must wage war against the snake and fight back his lies and refuse to believe that chaos is better than the goodness of God. Notice in the text, first of all, verse 13 of chapter 16. Notice he calls the church to stand in the gospel. Notice verse 13. He says this, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. First of all, look at that phrase, be watchful. It means to be on guard. It means to be ready with a warrior-like focus. You're, you're on edge. You're standing. It's not if the enemy might attack. You stand because you know the enemy is attacking. And the only question is how, when, or where. And you are engaged, standing, being watchful, looking out for it. You see, the reality is the same snake that was on the prowl in the Garden of Eden is still on the prowl. And he is not attacking. He's not just deceiving Adam's bride, Eve. Now he is out to deceive and attack Jesus's bride, the church. And so he writes to the church and he says, you, you better stand watch. I've given you instruction. I've given you encouragement. I've rebuked you. I, I've told you how to order the church. But at the end of the day, you have to stand ready because the enemy is always attacking the enemy is described as a prowling lion ready to devour the church. Satan is always looking for weak, ill-equipped Christians that he will prey on and devour and who will eventually destroy the church. Satan is on the prowl. He hates the presence of the church in the world and he seeks to, to wipe it out. He, he seeks to, to, to stall the church so that it would die out of its mission in the world to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. He seeks to divide. He seeks to create chaos and disorder. He seeks to distract us from our mission, to give us all kinds of bells and whistles and, and activity that we begin to think is what we should be involved with. And we miss the mission. That's Satan's work in the church to confuse and create chaos. He hates the church and he'll do whatever to ru ruin it. Whether it's corrupt leaders who, like Adam, follow the serpent's tongue. Or just corruption from within that destroys the witness of the church. Satan hates the church. And so what must the church do? We must be watchful. 
And you've got to know that that battle is always raging. You've got to know that. And you've got to be ready for it. In every conversation, when you are serving, when you are talking, when you are texting, when you are involved in worship, when you're involved of mission trips, Satan is ready to destroy the church. Be watchful. But notice the next command here. Stand firm. Do not be moved. Dig in. Be ready to engage. He says you're not retreating here. You're holding your ground. But notice he says, stand firm in the faith. Now, the word faith there, it's not an individual's faith. Like, just have faith. That's not what he's saying. He's describing what we would articulate as the things we believe the Bible teaches. It is our doctrine. It is what we believe about the Bible. You stand firm in what you believe to be true. You stand firm in what the Bible teaches as truth. Here, the faith is what we preach and teach as gospel truth from our Bibles. The things that we would say are essential to be a Christian. You got to believe this to be a Christian. You got to believe this is the gospel revealed in the scripture. To Timothy, Paul would call it the deposit or the trust that has been given to you. You protect it. You protect the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of the gospel. And in the letter of Jude, we read that it is the once and for all delivered faith that is given over to the church. You protect it, what you believe. You see, Satan wants you to be distracted And instead of standing in the faith, his goal is that you would stand in your sin. That you would dig in in your sin. You know how that is. The the faith, the word of God comes and what do you do? You dig in. You're committed to your sin. You don't find any joy in repentance. Satan wants to tell you repenting of your sin. There's no fun in that. No pleasure in that. Dig in in your sin. Hold to it. Be committed to it. Hide it. It's yours. Stand in your sin. Satan calls us to stand in our strength, to believe that you can be saved through your own efforts, through your own work, the things that you do, that Jesus, he's not enough. Stand in your own strength. That's the lie of the evil one. Satan would have you stand in your feelings where you define what is real by how you feel. Your emotions determine what is truth. Satan would have you stand in your agenda, your ministry agenda, even the things you do for the church. You stand in that. This is all that matters. Our political preferences and opinions, this is all that matters. Satan would have us to stand in those things so that they would overshadow the gospel. Ultimately, Satan wants you to stand in your gospel, whatever it is. And your gospel ultimately is going to be that you get your sin. That's good news. Gospel for you. I get to keep my sin. It's good news to you that that your strength, that you're somebody in your own power. It's good news to you that your feelings determine what is true. It's good news to you that you get your agenda. Satan wants you to dig in and stand in his gospel. 
And yet Paul says, no, you've got to stand in the gospel revealed in the scriptures. The faith once and for all delivered to the saints. What we see in the scripture and what we see in the scripture, this gospel, this faith that unfolds before us. It is a crucified Christ. It is a risen from the dead king. It is one who is Lord over human history who promises you good things. And Paul would say, instead of standing in the lies of Satan, stand in the truth of the gospel. That when you believe the gospel, you've been crucified in Christ. You are righteous before God and you have an eternal kingdom. Stand in the faith. Be strong in the faith. And we do that as a church week after week. We preach the faith. It's so important, especially during these days, that we articulate over and over what we believe. That is so important. If we're going to stand strong in the gospel, we've got to know the gospel. Every member of this church should be able to articulate clearly the gospel. That's why when you come to join Ashland Church, we ask you, what is the gospel? Have you believed the gospel? Tell us about that. Why? We want to stand in the gospel because we're in the middle of a war. Satan is raging and we want to stand in the faith. Week after week, we gather to be strong in the faith in worship. We gather to remind ourselves we are a gospel family. We don't despair under Satan's attack. We remember we're the church. We're the family of God. We stand by spreading the faith. By engaging in this mission that Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no other way of salvation. And we stand on that truth how we tell everybody about Jesus Christ. We stand in the faith by experiencing the faith, gathering as the church family through the gospel. This is how we're made strong by one another. You will fall to Satan's lie if you try to make it alone. If you try to alienate from others, no, you stand in the faith by gathering with people who are preaching, believing on mission for the sake of the faith, the gospel. You stand with the church. But notice what this leads to as the verse continues. Standing in the gospel leads to courage for the gospel. Notice the next phrase, act like men. Now, what he means by that is simply this. Be mature. Grow up. Don't be infants anymore in the gospel. This is for the whole church, the body of Christ. You need to grow up in the faith. You need to grow into a full grown body. This new man that Paul describes in Ephesians. Be mature. And then he says, be strong. It means to have strength. Grow up. And have strength. Be aggressive. This is a strong action. And if you combined all of those phrases, it's kind of junky in English. But if you combine these two phrases, you could summarize it in one command. Be brave. Grow up. Be strong. Simply have courage. Be brave. We know the mark of a mature man is bravery for the sake of others. A a mature man sacrifices himself for the good of others. That is God's design for a man that he would be courageous and brave. And so Paul says, grow up, be mature, act like a man, be brave. And the same is true for a church. 
A church that is strong in the gospel, that is mature, will be marked by courage and bravery. This is what Paul describes in the book of Ephesians. We get to the end of the book of Ephesians, and we've talked about this several times. Paul paints the description of a warrior at the end of the book of Ephesians. Now, we like to individualize that and talk about putting on the full armor of God. That's not at all what that passage is about. What he is doing is he's telling the church, the body of Christ, you got to grow up. You're a body and you got to grow into a full man. How do you do that? You put on the gospel. You put on Jesus Christ, which he describes in Ephesians as armor. And what is that warrior, the church, when he's, when he's decked out in the gospel, in Christ, he's covered in Jesus' righteousness, he's been forgiven of sin, he has the word of God, the truth of God's word. What is the church decked out in Christ? What does it look like? Bravery. Courage in the world. That's what Paul is calling the church here to be courageous. Why? You are covered in Christ. You are able to thwart the darts of the devil. You have nothing to be scared of in the world, church. Stand and be brave in the gospel. Because it leads to courage. Self-sacrifice for the sake of the others. others, Which is what a mature man would do. So act like men. And this is why we have to... I have become so burdened as a pastor as I counsel people and talk to people and share the gospel with people that we have to expose the, the prevailing false gospel in our culture. And we've called it therapeutic deism from here before. Whatever you want to call it, it's this. The gospel that everybody is believing right now is that Jesus exists for me. When you approach someone who's not a Christian or when you talk to Christians who are struggling, that's usually the gospel they believe. That I'm the center of the universe and Jesus exists for me. And he exists to give me everything I want. It's just a new version of the health wealth gospel. Where I believe in Jesus and because I believe in you, Jesus, you give me everything I want. You give me the career I want. You give me the family I want. And then you just let me do whatever I want that makes me happy. That is the Jesus that the people in our culture are believing in. Most people you encounter who aren't Christians, they embrace that really easily. Okay, I'll believe in God if he gives me everything I want. And we've got to confront that and we've got to destroy that with the truth of the gospel. We don't define the gospel. We're not the center of the gospel. Jesus is. And you know what this false gospel creates in our culture? Cowards. Because if the gospel is to give you everything you want, what are you always doing? Trying to get everything you want. You're being selfish. You're focused on yourself. Selfish people are not courageous people. They don't serve others. They don't risk for others. They don't sacrifice for others. They don't get hurt for others. They're not burdened for others. They care only about themselves. And that is the gospel that is being preached in our culture. And that's why when you look around, you see so many cowards. Nobody's being brave. Because they think the world exists for them and they get whatever they want. And yet we must destroy it and we must grow up and be strong in the gospel. And what does that look like? Well, if I'm believing that in Jesus, I have a kingdom and I get everything in him, 
because of what he's done, I won't cling to the kingdoms of this world. I don't have to have my way all the time. I can let go of my kingdom because I'm secure in the kingdom of Christ. And it leads to courage. If I am secure in my identity in Christ, if I know Jesus was raised from the dead and there's a promise that I will be raised from the dead, guess what? I believe the words of Christ when he said, they can only kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Your soul is secure. Now, if we really believe that, it's not just fairy tale story in the Bible. What would that look like in our lives? As we approach our jobs, as we approach, approach our parenting, as we train our kids, what would it look like if we really believe the gospel that, that if you're in Christ, you won't see death? Oh, we would be so courageous. We would go to hard places. We would minister to hard people. We wouldn't even care if they took our lives. Why? Because we're secure in the gospel. And so the true biblical gospel always leads to courage, letting go to the kingdoms of this world, letting go of money, letting go of success at all costs, because we believe Christ is better. That's what being strong in the gospel looks like. Someone who is strong in the gospel talks about the gospel and talks about Jesus. Why? They are full of courage. It's who you are. If you're strong in your identity in Christ, you talk about Jesus the same way you talk about your identity as a Wildcat fan. You're, you're strong in that identity. And you don't give a rip about Tennessee Vol fans or Duke basketball. You don't care. I mean, I come in the door back there, Tennessee loses a game, a bunch of Wildcat fans just humiliate me all the time. And you don't care. Why? You're strong in that identity, right? Well, if you're strong in your identity in Jesus Christ, you, you, you will talk about it. It's just who you are. Same way you talk about your kids. The same way you talk about hunting and fishing. The same way you talk about barbecue. The same way you talk about all of these other things. You're strong in those identities, so you talk about it. What if we were strong in the gospel? I think we would be courageous and we would act like men. We would be bold. And then he tempers all of this with, let all that you do be done in love. Love is this. Let's get this, right? Have this, have this conversation a lot lately. What is love? Sorry, I'm getting I'm preaching to myself. What is love? Let's just define it right now. Set it in stone so we know how to love other people. Love is a commitment to another person's good, no matter what it costs you. You come to the relationship and you say, I vow myself for your good. I'm here for your good and I'm all in. No matter what it costs me. No matter. I'm all in. I ain't leaving. I ain't going nowhere. That's what love is. And he says, of all this strength and boldness and courage, it is defined by love. It is defined by this commitment to another person's good, no matter what it costs you. We live in a world full of failed commitments. People bounce. People bounce easy onto the next thing. Friendship is just about convenience. Whatever 
time of life we're in and I have a convenient group of friends and then things change and I bounce. Relationships are for my pleasure and then I bounce. I move on. People are tools for my benefit. And so I'm not really committed to them no matter what it costs me. I'm not committed to their good. I'm committed to my good. And it's going to cost them something for my good. And that's what I'm committed to. That's not love. It's not love. I love you. I ain't leaving. I'm all in. I'm committed to your good no matter what it costs me. Now, a church family should be marked by this. It's who we are when we're strong in the gospel. Because we know the love of Christ for us. And so we vow. And and this is why church membership is important. It is a official commitment to a group of people to say, I'm all in and I ain't leaving. And I'm coming in and I'm committed to your good no matter what it costs me. Think of a church where everybody comes in and that is just understood. I'm all in. I'm committed to I'm committed to the good of Christ and others. I'm committed to the good of others in Christ. And I'm not I'm all in. And. and and if we're if we're committed to that, we will be a church where courage is just bubbling up everywhere. You just see acts of courage everywhere because I'm not self-protecting. I don't believe a false gospel that it's all about me. I believe that it is about Jesus and your greatest good is Jesus. And I will sacrifice whatever it takes to see you believe and follow Jesus. I'll do whatever it takes. Late nights, long phone calls, money, stress. Knowing that it's just messy, I will step in and I'm all in and I'm not leaving. Why? Because I'm strong in the gospel. Because I believe a gospel that says that where Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so I'm not leaving you because Jesus won't leave me. And I'm strong in that truth. And so I'm marked by courage. I would I will do things the world for you that the, the rest of your friends in your life go. That's weird. Why did they show up and do that? I, I was two church members at a ball game one time. Uh, I, I saw them as one was leaving and they just embraced each other. And they said, I love you. I love you. And as they were walking away, one of one of other parents said, who are those people? Are they related? Are they dating? No, they're church members. They go to my church and they just love each other. And the world sees the acts of courage in the church, this bond, and it is a declaration of the gospel. But what's Paul's point here? And you're thinking, I thought this was Father's Day. Where are we getting to the Father's Day stuff? So it's right here. The words Paul gives here is directed to the whole church but they are manly words that on purpose that's why it's translated act like men because they don't know how to translate it any other way and it, it leads us to the fact that adam was given the responsibility to watch and keep the garden adam was given the responsibility to keep the garden and when eve sinned god held Adam responsible that he did not tend and keep the garden. He let the snake in. And so it's one reason we will say this. And I I know I know some of you have a problem with this. So just bear with me. Be patient. Let all be done with love. Love your pastor. 
beginning with Adam, every problem in the culture, home, family, marriage, at some point comes back to a man failing to lead well. We can trace it all the way back to Adam. At some point, the problem touches a man who didn't lead and protect. Now, I want to be clear when I say that. It doesn't mean that a wife, children, employees aren't responsible for their own sin when they willfully act. That's that's true. You're responsible for your own sin. You're not a victim. You can't blame somebody else. But if men led well, you would be able to look into situations and say it wouldn't be that broken. If there was a man who stood up and he was strong in the gospel, if there was a man who was courageous, problems in my life, my family, you, you could you could move back and say, that's his fault. That's his responsibility. He didn't lead well in that moment. Because men are given the responsibility to be men, to be strong, to be brave, and to love. And so men today, I want to tell you this. Our church needs you to be watchful, to stand in the gospel, and to be brave for the sake of the gospel. That's what this church needs. We need men who will rise up and take the responsibility. And it starts by being a part of a church where the gospel is preached. By, by, by standing in the gospel, you, you must be a part of a church that is preaching the gospel. That is committed to gathering, that is committed to the mission, that is committed to fellowshipping in the gospel. You stand in the gospel and you lead your family to stand in the gospel by being a part of a church who does. And so, man, I know you're like, oh, he's he's just getting started. He's about to rail on us. No, that happens every Father's Day. That's not what's about to happen. I don't, I hope not. Men, I want you to be strong in the gospel, to stand in the gospel And this is what I mean by that. Not standing on your own goodness. Not standing on your own strength. Not standing on your own discipline. Some of you are, when you hear this, you say, okay, I need to be a good guy. That's not what I'm saying. Because you're a bad guy. Jesus is the only good guy. And you stand strong in him. And so don't stand in your failures. Some of you hear that and you go, yeah, I'm a miserable dad. I'm here today just to confess what a horrible failure I am. That's not the gospel. No, standing in the gospel is saying, yes, I'm a failure, but that failure was crucified on the cross. And you call other people not to look at you at your strength or your failures, but to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Every That's how you're strong in the gospel is you call other people to look to Jesus. Don't look to me. Look to Jesus. I'm a failure. I'm not the man. Jesus is the man. And men in the context of the church who do that lead encourage. Man, if you believe that and you were standing in the gospel and you were accepting the righteousness of Christ, you were accepting his blood on your behalf, you would do brave things. You would walk into the workplace and say, I'm going to stand for Jesus today. Why? Just because. Because I believe the gospel. And so there's things that that you're not okay with in the workplace because you believe in Jesus. You you love your enemy because you love Jesus who loved you, his enemy. And and you do weird things like that in the workplace. You, You share the gospel, but you set the tone for courage, which means you set the tone for love. Man, I am praying. I pray this often for you 
that when our church family hears the word love, they think about us because they couldn't think about anything else. When, when the culture and the world they, they live in talks about love and all of these fluffy things, they go, no, those are the men in my church. They, they embody those things. I, I want to be a pastor uh, who, who, when you think about what it means to stand in the gospel and be courageous and love, our church family thinks about us because we embody it. And men, it, it comes to your house first <laughs> to embody what it means to love. You must love your wife as Christ loved the church. You can't bypass that. Some, some men think about their career. They think about their, they even think about ministry and they jump over their family to whatever it is out here. Your primary mission field is your wife if you're married today. That is where the gospel is displayed most vividly in your home, where a man loves his wife as Christ loved the church. And if you're a dad, yes, it's Father's Day. You love your children. That is your, that is your first ministry. That is your first mission. As we heard Mark so, so powerfully encourage us today, that's where it starts. Don't, don't walk into that home seeing your kids as an inconvenience. And if you believe the gospel, you're going to be courageous in the home. Some of you immediately think about Indiana Jones when I say courage. Men, the most courageous thing that you might do today is reaching over and grabbing your wife's hand to pray for her. Because I know some of you haven't done it in a long time. And some of your wives are just waiting for you to lead in that way. And just just pray. Just tonight, just open up your Bible and start reading it to your kids. Now, I would start in John. I wouldn't open up to Leviticus and try to move through that with your kids. But my point is, just pray with your wife and read the Bible with your kids. That, that's it. And you say, what if they don't understand? What if they don't get it? They're not. They're not going to understand. They're not going to get it. But 10 years from now, they're going to remember that moment. Man, we've got to lead. It starts in our home. But beyond that, I want to ask all men here today, I want to ask you this question. What are others waiting for you to do? What, what do you, think about that. If you're a man here today, not just a father, if you're a man and you look at your work, you look at your school, you look at your friendships, you look at everything you're involved in. What are others waiting for you to do? They're standing around just waiting. Maybe it's pursuing the adoption process. Maybe it's joining a church. Maybe it's going on a mission trip. Maybe actually, as I said, reading the Bible and praying with your family. They're standing around waiting for you to do it. Maybe it's just encouraging folks at church and speaking to others at church. Maybe it's just singing at church. What are others standing around looking for you to do? Maybe it's just prioritizing the gospel in your home. You're involved in a million other things that are swirling about and you're trying to do all of them. And your wife and your kids and others in your life, your friends are waiting for you just to step out and prioritize the gospel in your home. They're waiting for it. It's not, it's not something amazing that I'm calling you to do. It's just stand in the gospel, be strong in the gospel, love and be courageous.
But ultimately, it comes back to this. We can talk about all of these things. It all ultimately comes back. We can follow men in our church, and we should have men in our church that we follow. But ultimately, it comes back to following the man. The world was destroyed by a man's decision to serve himself. And yet the world will be redeemed by a man's decision to sacrifice himself. And I know here today, many of you have watched men who should have been standing and they were sitting still or falling on their face. And we could give testimony after testimony where you've seen that and it is it has hurt you and it is it has ruined your life in some instances. Well, there is one man who stood on the promise that he would be raised from the dead and his name is Jesus. All men fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus is the glory of God. Some of you have experienced disappointment with men and fathers who should have had courage, but they were fearful. There is one who gave his life on Golgotha, the darkest place in human history. He walked into with great courage for your good. Some of you still have to deal with the selfishness of men in your life. And it's frustrating because in your heart, you say, I I need somebody to love me. Y'all talk about follow men. What do men love? They loved, we would follow. And that's your heart today. Well, Jesus Jesus has loved you. Jesus has displayed a great love for you in giving his life for your sin. The Bible describes you an enemy, and yet he died for you, his enemy. That's the greatest love ever known. We all fall short of God's glory. Jesus is God's glory. Any man that you look to apart from Jesus Christ is going to disappoint you. Look to Jesus. And if we want men and dads to be strong in the context of the church, hopefully from this you understand they have to have the gospel. So this isn't a Father's Day sermon where we're going, be strong, do good things, read your Bible, uh, do, do what's right. Pastor Jeremy's really mad at us today. He's always mad on Father's Day. I, I want to stop and say I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at you. And I hope you can say that of the men in our church. I'm not mad at you. And if, if we're not mad at each other, then let's stop saying, do what's right, be good. And let's start saying, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You should pray that the men in your church are looking to Jesus, not just doing what you think they should do. Look to Jesus. And you should pray that for them and you should encourage them with that. And that's why on Father's Day, what we want to do is encourage men with the gospel. The most passive, miserable, curmudgeon Men are men who have no hope and they can't, they don't feel like they can please anybody and they live in despair. But men who are aggressive, standing strong in the gospel and acting courageously, they're encouraged by the gospel. 